Good evening and thanks for joining us. Long lines and big delays for drivers hoping to travel Highway 1 between Chilliwack and Hope right now. Multiple mudslides overnight forcing detours, unrelenting rain and unusually warm temperatures. Likely the cause of this huge mess. Three people were rescued from their vehicles and the stretch of highway won't be reopened anytime soon. Our Jennifer Palma is live in the valley tonight with more on the mess and the cleanup. Jen? I can tell you it is an absolute mess out here and the lineups are even longer now than they were before as people trying to get home. But I can tell you that the cleanup is underway. You can see them working right there behind us. Three mudslides and hours of frustration for drivers on Highway 1 between Hope and Chilliwack. The slides spread out over one and a half kilometers of roadway, forcing the shutdown of Highway 1 both east and westbound. There's three sites that we're dealing with right now. This is the largest site. Uh, we're looking at maybe about 500 cubic meters here. The slides forced the highway closure at midnight and caused two tractor trailers and a vehicle to get trapped in mud. Everyone got out. One person was taken to a hospital with what's believed to be non-life-threatening injuries. TV reality show Highway Through Hell is taping. They say that no one got hurt is surprising. For these guys to get out of here, both transport trucks and their drivers, um, that's pretty much a miracle. Slides like these happen every few years. In this area, it's been 10 years. The cause of the slides? the warm, wet weather. We've had a very uh, wet few weeks, followed by this present Pineapple Express with lots of intense rainfall, and that is enough to raise the moisture content enough to weaken the sediment that causes the initial failure. There's a lot of moisture that we're dealing with. Uh, there's some trees that were falling just to clear some of the, the creek beds and things like that. Uh, we want to reinstate uh, the flow of uh, some of the creeks that got shifted a little bit because of the debris flow. And that's kind of the main concern here at this site. While the Ministry of Transportation continues to clean up, motorists are stuck in major lineups. The wait at least an hour long to get to the detour to Highway 7. But there is some light being shed on the westbound lanes of Highway 1 only. We're looking at most likely not tonight. Uh, we're looking at tomorrow at noon. That's kind of where we're thinking that we, we can do if everything goes according to plan. Uh, we might have to look at a counterflow system to have one lane in each direction there. All right, Jen, when do they think there might be a full reopening of that route? Well, if the rain holds off, they're hoping that they can have everything reopened by Saturday afternoon, both east and westbound. Now, I am told here just a few moments ago that cleanup is going really well, actually. But again, the rain needs to hold off. Until then, they are hoping to at least get the westbound lanes of this section of highway open to traffic by tomorrow afternoon. But as was mentioned, that would be to alternating traffic. In the meantime, Highway 7, that's your detour. Back to you. All right. Thanks for that. Jen Palma reporting for us. And the warm weather causing a major melt of all that snow up in Whistler, and that's resulting in some flooding. In addition to the snow melt, rain also falling today, compounding the issue. Thankfully, no houses are affected at this point. The public, though, being advised to use caution around creeks and rivers right now. And meteorologist Christy Gordon is tracking these conditions. Christy, it sounds like we might be in for more of the same. 
Well, Chris, thankfully, no, the temperatures actually have dropped dramatically today. The freezing levels yesterday were at 3,000 meters. Today, they're back down to 1,500. And that means the rapid snow melt that we saw in the last 24 hours in the mountains will be reduced significantly. Same for the runoff. But the problem is we do have more rain in the forecast. So who could see another 35 millimeters tomorrow? That's what I'll have when I come back. All right. Thanks very much. New details about the remarkable survival story of a Coquitlam dog walker. Annette Poitras and the three dogs in her care spent two chilly, wet nights in the Coquitlam backcountry before search and rescue crews managed to locate them and pull them all to safety. Tonight, her husband tells Global News that sh- what she did to survive and how the dogs helped. Erin MacArthur reports. Bubba and Chloe. Seemingly, none the worse for wear after their ordeal in the bush this week. Bubba's owner thrilled to have his dog home and dry. Well, we were just first and foremost thinking about Annette. Crazy time being out there, I'm sure, with all the terrible weather and everything. So we were just hoping she was, she was okay. The dogs, as it turned out, played a key role in keeping Annette Poitras alive for two nights in the pouring rain. She happened to notice one of the dogs was digging a hole to sleep in and the undergrowth and everything. It's very um, spongy. It soaks up a lot of water. So she started sweeping away all the the brush and everything to get down to the dirt and kind of made herself a little well to sleep in. Annette Poitras took three dogs for a walk Monday afternoon at the top of Westwood Plateau. She was only about three kilometers from where she parked her car and no more than 500 meters or so from the hydro line. But she was injured and turned around She could see the helicopters flying above her, but they couldn't see her. She crawled to uh, a place where she could, you know, there was no branches right above her. Her knees are all bruised from crawling through the the dirt. Um, So she knew they were out there. Um, But she had lost her cell phone when she fell, probably about 5 o'clock Monday night. She was spotted Wednesday morning. And after spending two nights cuddling with the dogs for warmth, all four were long-lined to safety. Annette's injuries are significant, but not life-threatening. She's doing really good. Um, No broken bones. She's a lot of real muscle pain. She's not really able to walk yet. Annette's expected to spend another night in the hospital. The dogs, after they got the once-over from the vet, are all fine. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. RCMP investigating a shooting on the Delta-Surrey border. It happened just before 9 o'clock this morning in the area of 96th Avenue and 116th Street. When officers arrived, they found a 33-year-old Surrey man with gunshot wounds. He was taken to hospital. The extent of his injuries is not known. Investigators are now canvassing the neighborhood for witnesses and any video surveillance. RCMP say the shooting was targeted and they don't believe there is any risk to the public. A brief court appearance today for Curtis Sagmoen. The 37-year-old lives on the farm near Salmon Arm, where the remains of 18-year-old Tracy Genero were found earlier this month. And while he's not facing any charges in connection with that investigation, Rumi Nadea explains why he could possibly be released. Every court appearance, every new development concerning Curtis Sagmoen, these women vow to be there. 
We wanted to come out and rally around the cause um, to end violence against women. The violence against women is not okay, and especially our most vulnerable women who we have to keep an eye out for. 37-year-old Sag Moen appeared via video link on several charges in connection to an alleged incident where a sex worker says she was threatened by a man with a gun near Salmon Arm in August. It's the same area where RCMP uncovered the remains of 18-year-old Tracy Genero on a farm in October. The property belongs to Sag Moen's parents. Police will not say if there's a link. No one has been charged in Genero's case. If it's just these charges that they end up pursuing with and he, they can't establish enough of a connection to Ms. Genero's case, then there is going to be a, a chance that he's going to get out. This criminal lawyer, who's not connected to the case, says bail is a possibility in connection to the August charges. Even though he's facing six very serious charges, he's entitled to the presumption of innocence. He doesn't have a serious criminal history. Um, he's you know, consented to remain in custody this far, so it shows that he's cooperating. For now, Sag Moen remains in custody. The case has been put over until December 14th. Romina Dea, Global News. A day after the federal government announced a multi-billion dollar national housing strategy, Vancouver has officially unveiled its 10-year housing plan. The goal is to build 72,000 new homes during the next decade. About two-thirds of all new homes will be rentals. The new builds will include 10,000 townhouses, row homes, and other higher density options in areas that have traditionally been single-family neighborhoods. A tactical response team will look at needed zoning changes in 2018. The city is also focused on rental housing, looking at 100% rental buildings near transit hubs. There's some big moves here in the housing strategy that haven't been done before. Uh, one is to set uh, housing goals for housing production by income level so that we're actually meeting the needs of Vancouverites and not only for uh, investors. So that's a, a big shift. Part of that is emphasizing production of rental housing uh, as a preference. 48% of the new rental units will be for residents with a household income of less than $80,000 a year. They'll be subject to ongoing means testing. The plan goes to council next week. Meantime, some high school students in the Marple area of Vancouver are speaking out in favor of a controversial housing project. The city wants to build modular homes for the homeless at West 59th Avenue and Heather Street. But the news sparked protests from some area residents who felt it would create safety concerns for children attending two schools in the area. Students at nearby Sir Winston Churchill Secondary are dismissing the claim, though. They believe the complaints are more about nimbyism. The first step to building a strong community is having an open mind. And so people who weren't able to see that this could be a benefit to our community, I think that was yeah, really disappointing. The city wants to locate three two-story buildings at the site, which will include a total of 78 homes for the homeless. But first, two more people have been charged in connection with an animal abuse investigation near Duncan. And a warning, the details of this story are disturbing. It stems from a Snapchat video of a cat allegedly being fed drugs, dipped in bleach and shaved before being thrown from a car window. The cat is expected to recover and has been returned to its owner. 
RCMP say a 16-year-old girl and a 17-year-old boy have now been charged. A third person, 20-year-old Joshua Lemire, was charged yesterday with one count of causing unnecessary pain and suffering to an animal. All three have been released on conditions. And the Wewake First Nation on Vancouver Island has released a statement about this disturbing incident posted on social media. We told you about this one last week. The band now says it was a resident of the Quinson Reserve in Campbell River who shot a deer while on the reserve. The band says while the deer was shot for food, the band condemns the video. They say it's not representative of the hunting practices of the Wewake people and it has outraged the community. The band says it is cooperating with RCMP and conservation investigations. Well, sadly, it appears that social media has seen a surge in animal abuse posts. And a warning about this, again, some of the subject matter might be disturbing. The RSPCA in the UK says cruelty shared on Snapchat is up more than 300%. Nitu Garcha has more on why it's happening and what to do if you see it. On the app Snapchat that's popular among youngsters, photos and videos shared disappear after being opened. Snapchat's one of those social media platforms that's responded to people's increasing uh, desire for privacy. But unfortunately, this feature appears to have harbored a series of horrifying animal abuse cases. People have started to feel that it's safe to put things up there, so they put all sorts of stuff up on Snapchat, thinking that it's not going to be seen by a wider public or, or get, get up on the internet or stay there, And but often it does. The UK's biggest animal welfare charity is reporting a big spike in the number of reports of brutal cruelty witnessed on Snapchat. The Royal Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals sent us dozens of photos of animal abuse. Everything from a baby fox being tasered to squirrels and fish being tortured. It reports over 100 complaints so far this year, up from 27 in 2015. Researchers say the majority of the offenders are children who carry out the abuse, record it, and share it with their friends through the app. I was just not thinking these things through and not really realizing the extent of what their actions can, can create. The BCSPCA says it doesn't track these kind of stats, but is horrified by the recent cases on the island and encourages anyone who sees animal cruelty to immediately report it to police or the SPCA. We need some oversight from not only the adult community, but from uh, police. And if you know a young abuser, keep in mind it could be part of a dangerous pattern and they may need professional help. There is a link between being cruel to animals in childhood and, and being assaultive and aggressive and violating norms and rules later on. For authorities, social media can offer another layer of surveillance. And especially with so many cases of cruelty and torture on this particular app, it may also lead to more awareness and better judgment. The positive that could come out of this story is, is that, you know, there'll be some education at the, you know, at the school levels, you know, about what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. Neetu Garcha, Global News. Well, happily, there are far more people who want to help animals, like two Calgary police officers. This is a, a great horned owl that Raz and Fish save. Constables Paul Fisher and Alex Razvan are the go-to team for animal rescues, and their latest came just in the nick of time. They were called to an injured great horned owl in the downtown core, and with the help of some witnesses, they got it to a wildlife rehabilitation center. The owl, which they've named Roxanne, suffered head trauma, likely from hitting a building or a window. But thanks to officers Fisher and Razvan, she has a good shot at recovering. 
A reminder about the added dangers this time of year for both drivers and pedestrians. It was still dark this morning and rainy when police were called to a collision on Marshall Road near Cherry Street at 7 a.m. A man in his 50s was rushed to hospital with serious injuries. Police say he was crossing Marshall Road mid-block near Cherry Street when the accident happened. The driver stayed at the scene and is cooperating with the investigation. You mentioned this is a particularly dangerous time of year for pedestrians. The rate of pedestrian collisions actually doubles. Linda Aylesworth talked to ICBC's safety expert to find out what drivers and pedestrians need to do to keep everyone safe. It's dangerous being a pedestrian, especially this time of year. 43% of all pedestrian crashes happen in that fall winter period. So starting in October, so October, November, December, January. 59 pedestrians are killed annually in this province. 2,500 are injured. The top two contributing factors for these types of crashes where someone is injured or killed on the driver's side is a driver being distracted and also just failing to yield for a pedestrian. The car was just not going to stop and I had started to cross the street and I banged on his fender and eventually he got it. But pedestrians also play a role in their own safety. Seriously, how could this person possibly expect a car to see him at night dressed in black and jaywalking? One of our suggestions for pedestrians is try to be as reflective as you can. And that could be reflective clothing, having a flashlight, having a reflective umbrella, or uh, you get little tags. Another tip, never assume a driver sees you and will stop, night or day, even if you have the right of way. Well, I got hit the other day on Chesterfield Avenue and 17th. The lights are so dim, people can't see you when you stand there and wait to go at the crosswalk. The onus is on you as a pedestrian to try to make that eye contact and don't have earphones on, don't be talking on your phone, keep your head up and know what's going on in your surroundings. And when you see the flashing red light at a controlled crosswalk, it's too late to start crossing. Doing so may be common, but it's also dangerous and illegal. I guess I was just doing it, yeah, me too. So be a defensive walker, not a statistic. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Allegations of price manipulation at Sears Canada stores have now sparked an official investigation. The Competition Bureau is looking into consumer claims that the retailer marked up the price of some products before marking them down again for the liquidation sales. According to the court-appointed monitor overseeing the dissolution of Sears, the federal watchdog sent letters to liquidators earlier this month inquiring about the alleged markups. Sears is set to close up shop for good in Canada after the holidays. A familiar sound of the season today. The Salvation Army is launching its holiday fundraising campaign. Volunteers will be singing Christmas carols and ringing those bells on the streets and in malls across the Lower Mainland. This is the 127th year of the Red Kettle Campaign fundraiser. The goal is to raise $4.5 million over the next six weeks. We feed people, we clothe people, we shelter people, we provide job training opportunities for people to help them get out of the cycle of poverty permanently. And those funds will be raised all over BC with the Red Kettle campaign. They'll stay in the community in which they were raised as well. Mm -hmm.
Oh, and there's the new Grinch balloon. That was SpongeBob, of course, off the top. Uh, the Grinch balloon, the latest addition to the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, making its way through New York City today. Millions of people lined the streets for the 91st annual tradition under the watchful eye of heavy security. No major incidents, thankfully. Well, the North Korean soldier whose dramatic defection was captured on surveillance video is said to be awake, breathing on his own, and watching American television. The soldier was shot five times as he made this desperate dash for freedom, but survived and was dragged to safety by South Korean soldiers. American soldiers helped in the rescue effort, too. Doctors say while treating his gunshot wounds, they pulled dozens of parasites from his intestines, suggesting poor health conditions in the secretive state. Doctors also say the soldier is watching the TV series CSI and the movie The Transporter. A shocking twist tonight in the case of a Baltimore police detective and father of five who was killed last week by an unknown gunman. It turns out he was a witness in a federal corruption case against fellow officers scheduled to testify the next day. A week after Baltimore detective Sean Souter was shot and killed, the revelation from the city's police commissioner was stunning. Souter was set to testify before a federal grand jury the next day against eight elite Baltimore officers already indicted in a police corruption investigation. But the commissioner says there is no evidence that Souter was set up. The BPD and the FBI do not possess any information that this incident is part of any conspiracy. The evidence, in fact, refutes that notion. Police say evidence on Souter's clothing suggests a struggle. A three-second radio transmission may have captured the moment Souter was shot with his own gun. We do not know where these shots came from. We have officers in bad locations. Let everybody take cover somewhere, okay? Souter and his partner were investigating a 2016 triple murder when he approached a suspicious individual in a vacant lot. His partner was across the street at the time of the shooting. Police insist he's not a suspect. An 18-year veteran and father of five, Souter was set to testify against fellow cops for allegedly stealing money, property, and drugs. There is no information that has been communicated to me that Detective Souter was anything other than a stellar detective great friend, loving husband, and dedicated father. The commissioner says Souter and his partner gave no one advance notice where they'd be working. The encounter with a suspect in a crime-ridden neighborhood was apparently random. The reward leading to his killer now up to $215,000. Tom Costello, NBC News, Washington. A Toronto woman is battered and bruised tonight and having second thoughts about her actions after a struggle with a purse snatcher. A parkade security camera captured the drama as the would-be thief snuck up behind her and tried to take her purse. The victim, who doesn't want to be identified, held on and struggled, despite being pepper sprayed, struck on the head repeatedly and dragged down the ramp. Eventually, passersby heard her screams and the thief ran off. Did you think, what was, I, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? I should have let go, you know, like it could have been worse. It, it could have had a, a weapon. It's more of a feeling that, um, am I going to fight? I have to fight. She says she's now going to be more conscious of her surroundings and she now carries a personal alarm. An emerging scandal to tell you about tonight in Victoria as the provincial government admits it botched the approval of dozens of earthen dams built by oil and gas companies in northeastern B.C. 
most of the blame falling on the previous Liberal government. A major disaster in the province just a few years ago should have been a wake-up call, but in this global exclusive, Paul Johnson found regulators are still making big mistakes. The Mount Polly mine disaster in 2014. An earthen dam in the Caribou region failed and spilled millions of cubic meters of waste. It triggered calls for more oversight of dams built by resource companies. But has that happened? Ben Parfit has been investigating dams built by oil and gas companies in the Peace region. He's shocked by what he found. There didn't appear to be any authorizations that had been given or licenses that had been given to the companies before they built them. Parfit says he found dozens of dams that were built prior to any government engineer signing off on a design. Provincial dam safety officials were never told uh, that these structures were going to be built. Some of these dams are serious structures. One of them is 23 meters high. That's about as high as the top of this building behind me here. As I've said, yes, there, there, was a, there was an oversight that occurred. Ken Paulson is CEO of the BC Oil and Gas Commission, one of the regulators. He says they've now corrected their mistakes. Was there ever any, any uh, danger to health and safety or the environment? Uh, no. An LNG industry will provide jobs. And Much of this took place when the previous Liberal government was courting players in natural gas to build export plants in B.C. So was the government's oversight here just a coincidence? Some wonder. This is actually one of our biggest concerns. Sonia Firstenau is a Green Party MLA. What we see was a government that was hell-bent on ensuring that LNG had the, the easiest path forward in this province. And this is an example where, you know, you bend rules, you don't enforce regulations, you don't enforce compliance. Whether that theory is true or not, today dozens of dams dot our northern landscape as Victoria scrambles to retroactively bring them into compliance. Very clearly, somebody was asleep at the switch. Paul Johnson, Global News. Energy Minister Michelle Mungle says as soon as the new NDP government learned about the issue, it began working on addressing the problem and strengthening regulations. Uh, one of the issues that is uh, at play here is uh, change in legislation and how oversight was done. We want to strengthen our regulatory process and our regulatory bodies. We think uh, that's important for British Columbians. It's important for protecting our air, land and water. It's also important for sustainability of industry. In Health Matters tonight, a major new construction project has begun at Delta Hospital aimed at reducing lineups for health care. The official groundbreaking today for a new diagnostic services facility. The Peter C. and Elizabeth Toygo building paves the way for as many as 32,000 more patient visits per year. The project has a price tag of $15.2 million. Fraser Health says the need for services like CT scans and medical imaging has grown exponentially in Delta. Meteorologist Christy Gordon. It had our, everyone in our cafeteria <laughs> riveted. <laughs> riveted this afternoon. All right, Christy Gordon joins us. We saw off the top of the show, uh, Christy, all of the the soaking wet and warm weather. Mm-hmm. What's happening next? Well, the problem is we have more rain on the way. The good news is the freezing levels have dropped dramatically. Temperatures have dropped. We had record-breaking temperatures, though, in the interior uh, today. Creston, 14 degrees. Salmon Arm, close to that as well. Uh, what's interesting, though, is the warmth has shifted to the east, um, for the coastal regions, we've dropped dramatically. Yesterday, 
Some areas hit 19 degrees, and we were at about 10 degrees this afternoon. We continued to drop from 19 degrees. So uh, even in the morning, it was warmer than it is right now. So uh, 10 degrees in Vancouver, 9 out in Abbotsford. That is good news. Freezing levels have dropped significantly. So we won't see as much melt, but we've got another system on deck, and it means that we have a snowfall warning in place for the Coquihalla. It's not too bad out there right now, but overnight tonight, we're expecting 15 centimeters of snow. As I mentioned, with that uh, cooler temperatures, the snow level dropped, but now this system is moving in, and that means wind and rain for the south coast as well. Some areas could see another 35 millimeters of rain. Majority of that will be along the North Shore Mountains, up through the House Sound region as well. Those of you across the North Coast will also see periods of rain. Just snow in areas like Smithers through the early morning period, but temperatures are really quite warm here. For example, in Prince George, 4 degrees, that's a good 6 degrees above average. A few flurries in areas like Fort Nelson and Fort St. John, but not much moisture there, and just a chance of showers across these regions, mainly dry in areas like Kamloops and Kelowna with overcast skies and a high of 8 degrees. But over the next 24 hours, for those of you in the interior, you will continue to see those temperatures drop. For the south coast, we will maintain temperatures around 10 degrees as our high for the next couple of days. Wet weather throughout the day, as I mentioned. Most amount of rain is along the North Shore Mountains. Metro Vancouver, probably 10 to 15 millimeters expected. So that's our tomorrow. And then Saturday, we continue with wet weather along with windy conditions. And we finally ease off to just a few showers on Sunday, but not much of a break, as you can see off in the distance here. Happy birthday to Mildred McDonald. She's celebrating 101 years today. And Erica and Rolf Haim, they're celebrating 73 years together. Incredible. And this was the scene in Whistler today, thankfully, from uh, Wilfred. Um, so they, the stream levels are super high, a lot of melt, and you saw the, the flooding that they had, but it really was beautiful nonetheless. Sunny and blue sky. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Christy. Nice day for a walk along the creek. Okay, a Thanksgiving Day high-speed chase in California ended peacefully, but there were some harrowing moments before it was all over. The driver of a stolen car led the LAPD on a chase from the San Fernando Valley to West L.A. Thankfully, the Thanksgiving Day traffic was light, but that allowed the driver to hit speeds of 150 kilometers an hour at times. Right there. Just ended in a collision. Oh, my. He finally crashed into a van as he blew through an intersection and then got out and ran for it. He ended up on a rooftop and eventually cooperated with police when firefighters put up a ladder. Very helpful. (laughs) Very helpful. Have you ever driven in L.A.? I have driven it's through always, L.A. How can these guys have these high-speed car chases? It's always bumper-to-bumper bumper in Los right. Angeles. Light no traffic on Thanksgiving. On really light traffic today. And I, I watched a bit of it, and his driving was actually pretty good at times. Well, I mean, <laughs> you've got to give him credit for that, at least. If he wasn't yeah. a criminal, he might have a NASCAR job coming to him. But, yeah, I've never seen L.A. streets where you can drive at any more, more than, like, five miles an hour. Okay, the uh, number one rookie in the NHL right now... The number one rookie plays for the Canucks. Come the Canucks. Besser with a chance. Shoots. Scores. The great start of Brock Besser. We'll talk about that, but he's not the only Canuck youngster having a great beginning. We'll talk about another guy as well. But whenever the East has the ball, then the cart rolls to the East. And the people that are sitting on this side then get to reload their, their beverage. Oh, my. That's how it works at Patrick Roach's annual Grey Cup party in Ajax, Ontario. 
Patrick holds his party every Grey Cup in a tent in his backyard, complete with VIP section, bleachers, separating East and West fans. I hope he's updated wow. that TV. That, that looked pretty weak. It takes him and his family a week to set this all up. He's been doing it for 30 years. He even did it back when he lived in the Yukon. Dragging the same TV around, too, maybe. <laughs> that TV is it's like, yeah. <laughs> If the Canucks were a band, they'd play rock and roll. Oh, all the puns. I see what you did there. That's excellent. Yes, he's a Brock star. <laughs> Go with that one as well, if you like. Um, has a BB gun for a shot. Well, actually, it's not a BB gun. That thing's a howitzer. Uh, it's been a long a time. Yes. What's that? It's a brocket. That's good, too. <laughs> a brocket. I like that one best, actually. Uh, it's been a long time since Canucks Nation has been this excited about a rookie the way they are excited about the play of Brock Besser, probably not since the freshman year of Pavel Bure, have the Canucks had a kid who was immediately making an impact. He is, of course, a different player than Pavel Bure was, but he has everyone's attention, not just in Vancouver, but around the NHL, and that makes the Canucks' future much brighter. Six goals in his last four games, and the Penguins have already played the Canucks twice this year. That's all they'll play them, and they're glad they're not going to see them again. Besser has five goals in those two games against the Penguins. Besser's shot is so strong and not only scores goals, the rebounds cause assists. The only question about Besser right now, can he hold up over the course of a long NHL season? The most games he ever played in college was 42 in one year. A lot of college players will hit a wall at some point during their rookie NHL campaigns, but so far, Besser has been great. Speaking of rookies, as we said, he's the leading scorer as far as rookies right now in the NHL. Interestingly enough, he and Clayton Keller both are college players. The last time I think a college graduate who went from college to the NHL was rookie of the year was Danny Heatley way back in 2001. But these two guys are the leaders right now. Local boy Matthew Barzell is having a good start with the Islanders. He is at 20 points. Okay, so uh, Besser isn't the only young Canuck off to a great start. Over in Sweden this past June, the Canucks' first-round pick was Elias Pettersson, or Pettersson if you want to be a little more Swedish. He uh, leads his team, Vachko Lakers, in scoring right now. He's second overall in league scoring. And remember, this kid is only 19, and he's playing against older players in Sweden. If all goes well, he might be the guy setting up Besser in the near future for the Canucks. Think about that. Him and Horvat could be 1-2 as the Canucks centers. Uh, today, Pettersson had two goals and an assist. His team won 4-2. Actually, Vashko is number one in the league right now. He's got moves. He sees the openings. We're going to show you the highlights from that game today. He's number 40. Watch him. He's got the puck right now. Look at the move he makes right here. Nice little move and finds the open man. Take another look. Rice nutmegs that guy. And this goal here is first of two. Watch how he basically hides and then comes out and gives his uh, teammate a guy to pass to. He's behind the net. Now give it to me. There. Mark. Very smart. Take one more look at another Pedersen goal today. This was his breakaway goal. Two goals and an assist. And as we said, second in league scoring the last time we checked. So three NFL games today because it's Thanksgiving down south. Lions, Vikings, Vikings on a roll. Case Keenum has been great for them. No Bradford, but Keenan's all right. Runs this one in himself. 13-0. Vikings uh, have a Thanksgiving Day feast celebration. See that? No, that little, that's basically what it was. No, touchdown, Kyle Rudolph. He had two today. 
2010 Vikings at halftime, fourth quarter. Matthew Stafford, Marvin Jones, great catch. Touchdown. I know. Keep your eye on the ball and make sure you're tall. One more look. Vikings still won it though, 30-23. Stafford was playing hurt in that game. He just kept going out there. Uh, okay, both teams wearing blue. I think the blue team will win. It's Chargers, it's uh, Cowboys. Phillip Rivers to Hunter Henry. It's 9-0 for LA. I always want to say San Diego, but it's now LA. That's unfortunate. Should have stayed in San Diego. Uh, Rivers back to pass. The light blue guys are scoring against the dark blue guys. Tyrell Williams. Tyrell Williams, I should say. The Cowboys are a different team without Ezekiel Elliott. Without him in the backfield, their offense is just off base. And their defense is struggling in this game as well. Keenan Allen, this is 42 yards. Chargers scoring again. And if that's not enough, I mentioned the offense being off kilter. Two guys, that'll be the last time they play against each other. Dak Prescott in trouble. Oh boy. This is going 90 yards the wrong way. Desmond King. Chargers win it. Dallas is falling down without Zeke, who, of course, suspended for six games. 28-6. I want to show you this from yesterday. I didn't have a chance to show you this. This is a Champions League action. Atletico Madrid's Antoine Griezmann. Watch the goal. Goal! Brilliant! Two more looks. One more look. As the Frenchman puts this one in beautifully. And quick note, former BC Lion, good guy, Andrew Harris of Winnipeg Blue Bombers, just named the outstanding Canadian for this year in the CFL. Nice. There you go. Thanks, Squire. You're welcome. All right, here's Andrew now with a preview of Global News at 11. Yeah. Thanks, Chris. And we are monitoring the situation near Bridal Falls and Highway 1. As we've been reporting, several mudslides have shut down the highway between Hope and Chilliwack, causing travel delays. We will have a live report from the scene at 11. And Kamloops RCMP are looking for a suspect who rammed a police vehicle. The officer wasn't injured, but there was plenty of damage to the front end of the undercover car. The chase began when the suspect rolled through a stop sign at an intersection. We'll tell you what happened next when you join us later tonight. Chris, so... All right, and thanks very much. Levi's Levodrome gets some love from Oxford. That's just ahead. But first, here's Kasia Badurka with five things you can do with your family this weekend. Kasia? You got it. Let's first head to the Island Farm Santa's Light Parade happening this Sunday in Victoria with floats, bands, and entertainment. Afterwards, Centennial Square will have refreshments and a special visit and announcement from the big guy himself. Now it's that time again to visit Capilano Suspension Bridge Park as the Winter Lights Festival kicks off today. Be amazed by hundreds of thousands of lights throughout the park or take part in the many activities they host daily, like decorating ornaments or even better, decorating cookies. The Tree of Hope celebration is on all weekend at Landmark 6 in Kelowna. Wander and shop through the Christmas pop-up market while enjoying entertainment, treats, complimentary mulled cider, and indoor skating. It all kicks off tomorrow night. Now picture this, a musical light tunnel, half a million glowing lights in a Christmas-themed greenhouse garden, a Christmas market, food trucks, live entertainment, and fun bevies for the big kids. That pretty much sums up glow, and it's on in Langley until the end of December. 
Christmas is taking over Lee Square in Port Coquitlam this weekend. Stroll through the Winter Artisan Market and take part in the official tree lighting ceremony. Santa will be there, of course, along with other entertainers, storytellers, face painters, and more. For more on these events, head to globalnews.ca slash five things. This program is brought to you by BCAA. Get a BCAA membership and save with our many partners, plus get the best roadside assistance. Here's your snow report for this evening. No new snow for Whistler, Grouse, and Cypress Mountain, but healthy bases for this time of year, 120 centimeters. Sasquatch opens soon on December 15th. Revelstoke Mountain and Manning Park open on December 2nd. Powder King already open, 145 centimeters as their base. And Mount Washington opens on December 8th. Big White and Silver Star open today with no new snow, but gorgeous conditions. Sun Peaks has one centimeter's fresh snow and a 72 centimeter base. Apex opens on December December 2nd. Good job, Christy. Thank you. <laughs> I like your guitar playing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's really yeah. It looks like the campaign by Vancouver Island Boy to add a new word to the dictionary is really gaining steam. So, Levi, there are many new words every year, some very clever ones and some very useful ones. We told you how Victoria's second grader Levi Budd had proposed to add the word levodrome to describe a word that spells something else backwards. His family's campaign got some traction when actor William Shatner tweeted his support. Well, now the people at the Oxford English Dictionary have posted a video just for Levi. We have a list of all the words we want to keep an eye on, and Levodrome is on that list. In a year or so, if lots of people are still using your word, it might well get into our dictionary. Thanks for watching. So we all have to start using Levodrome. Now, William Shatner hasn't forgotten Levi's campaign. He sent out this tweet full of those forward-backward words like debut, tubed, smart, trams, and mind. Uh, what is it? Denim. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Urging his Twitter followers to keep using Levodrome until it's in the dictionary. I actually tried to put my head sideways to, <laughs> to be able to read it. How can I do it? <laughs> Good luck, Levi. It's, uh, it's an interesting campaign, and in a year, we'll know. Mm-hmm.